on holiday, there's nothing like doing nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight, so you can go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing for less. Expedia. Made to travel. We're all set to go. I'm good. Okay, let's go. <laughs> I'm the first person who asked to talk. Don't you think you'd ask me if no, I was ready? No, I'm not asking you. <laughs> Pottery is all you need to know. Pottery. Pottery. Brothers and sisters, welcome to Penn Sunday School, starring Penn Gillette. My name is Michael Godot. Matt Donnelly is off somewhere, and we are broadcasting from the show creator studios in Las Vegas. It's the second talk with Seasteading Institute founder, Pottery Friedman. And uh, we're going to hit him up pretty hard this time. Yeah. Let's get him. Get the gloves. Where's coming. the ropes coming from, <laughs> get you weasel? Bring it. Here he is preaching love. Mr. Who, Pen- builds, who builds the roads? Mr. Pendulette. Well, actually. Love. Preaching oh, love. Preaching love. Who builds the roads? Stupid nice, motherfucker. Who builds the roads, stupid motherfucker? <laughs> you know, a lot of roads were actually built by collections from the neighborhood. That's actually true, right? The, the toll roads and the pike roads. Romans. <laughs> Answer two, have a private city. Whoever operates the private city builds the roads because a city without roads is shit unless it's a city with like some kind of amazing public transportation system or yeah, like driverless cars or whatever. Ginger, remember Ginger? What was Ginger? Ginger was what the first name was for the um, the stand-up. Uh, I don't blank on the real name. <laughs> oh, the, the, uh, the scooters. The scooters. Yeah, yeah, but not the the specific scooters. The stand-up ones. The wow, balance, you the balancey scooters. This is the Segway. The Segway. <laughs> yeah, I remember. The that. original name was the Ginger. <laughs> why did you go from Ginger to Segway? Ginger. Because that's what you build a. Yeah. Why would you do that? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was disappointed. But you know, their thinking was, well, you'll have to build new cities now that we have this great device. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we didn't is stupid. We should have built. Also, new once you have um, self-driving cars, which is now. Um, roads don't, become don't very, need garages. Roads become very different. Yeah, and yet parking. I mean, yeah, there's don't a ton of space wasted for parking. Yeah, Rhode Island. It's at least the size of Rhode Island is just parking in the U.S. Wow. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we get we get rid of all that. But what do you, what do you, libraries, public schools, all of that stuff? Well, libraries. I mean, the internet. Right. Libraries are kind of, I mean, yeah. absolutely. We, we take our kids to libraries now to be like, hey, there's this thing that I want you to understand. <laughs> like back before all the world's information was at your fingertips, we had to go to these places and it was this special thing. There was a, uh, there was a, there was an article in the New York Times desperately clutching. Uh, somebody's written a book that the most important part of libraries is that people um, conjugate there and there's social and interaction quietly and it's good for <laughs> it's good for elderly and homeless and people like that and i don't know if that's true when i was a kid there was uh, a period in elementary school where the school bus dropped me off at the library and i hung out at the library and read and that was my after school and i mean nowadays you, you just couldn't do that but it was great right yeah, well, you, uh, you, you, you that's your only son, your only child? Uh, I have a daughter as well. Uh, and how old are they? Uh, my son is is, ele- is 12, my daughter is 8, and uh, I'm also expecting a baby uh, in the spring. Oh, right. congratulations. Wow. And they go to public school? They're actually being homeschooled. They oh, have gone to public school. We knew that answer. We knew that. We could have guessed that answer. <laughs> they have gone to public school, and I, I went to public school. I think it's pretty good. Uh, my brother and sister were unschooled, which I think had its had pros and cons. How did that work out? Well, there's some things I was great at. Like, they know tons of history. And there's other things like 
they're not great at getting along with the kinds of people our family doesn't hang out with. Because they have no practice at it, right? They're great at getting along with all the wonderful kinds of people my family hangs out well, with. Well, talk about your family. Well. Yeah, why don't we made that clear in the intro? Yeah. Well, let's start with your grandfather. Sure. So my grandfather was Milton Friedman, the Nobel Prize winning economist um, and, you know, evangelist for freedom. Very mm-hmm. powerful evangelist for freedom. Uh, amen. Uh, have any of – well, I, I want to ask all these questions at once, but you'll get to them as you want. Have any of the uh, – do you have socialist relatives that have rebelled against uh, uh, your – I mean, your, are your Grandma? cousins? <laughs> no, I, I feel like they rebel by being non-political. I see. Um, and then – and my dad, uh, David Friedman, is a, just retired as a law and economics professor. He also took the economics route, but more like studying legal systems – so like, he has a book he's working on right now called Legal Systems Very Different from Ours, which looks at, at gypsy law, at imperial Roman law, Chinese law, all of these very different systems. Well, that will be a wicked good book. It's, it's interesting. And it will be useful when you start your own country. <laughs> <I'm not laughs> right. Don't point to me. That's only – you know, we had this question. Penland. When, when Absolutely. We, <laughs> Showtime was doing some – some some uh, bullshit show when we were on, when we were doing we were bullshit, doing a bullshit <laughs> show <laughs> and they wanted me to do a promo for it and it says what's the first thing you would do if you were king and I said abdicate <laughs> it's it's the only move it's the only move any king should ever have is to be abdicate I'm not looking to start a country depends who but who would step in though like would you abdicate if the wrong people were standing their way to step in I, <laughs> see. I feel like the best leaders are reluctant leaders. If it was Donald not Trump Donald and Hillary Trump. Clinton, I might not you, abdicate. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so you grew up where? Uh, I, I grew up with my mom mostly on the East Coast. Uh, spent summers with my dad. He was traveling. He was moving around different places until he got tenure. Uh, and then he got tenure at Santa Clara University in San Jose. Mm-hmm. So he's been out there for quite a while now. And how many siblings? Uh, two on my dad's side, a brother and a sister. And what's your... Uh, what's your uh... What's your education? Uh, let's see. I did an undergrad degree in math at Harvey Mudd College in Claremont, and then a, a computer science degree from Stanford and an online MBA. I don't know if that's real, but <laughs> I have it. I paid for it. You I did the homework. for it. Yeah. You did all the homework. I did. <laughs> and uh, and since then, you've been, you've been living in San Jose? Yep. I've been in California for 24 years now. Oh, really? And what jobs have you had? Google mostly? We couldn't be Google for the twenty four years. No. I mean, you know, I'm 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 weird, right? So I've I, I went to grad school, I dropped out uh once to work on uh AI to play online poker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we actually got to, to break even in some games and then the US pulled the plug on gambling <laughs> and uh and we weren't willing you know, it wasn't Good enough to move for like our software wasn't wasn't good enough yet. Well, you know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm good friends with Perry Friedman. Oh, who, who shares your last name? But not that's you. right. Yes, yeah. I'm I'm the only P Friedman to not have a World Series of Poker bracelet. Pralad <laughs> Friedman and Perry, they both have bracelets. I'm very jealous. Eleventh I, I, is my best finish in a in a World Series tournament. Um, I played poker for years, traveling around. Uh, I wrote a, a seasteading book. I just spent. A year plus just learning everything about the ocean and how to live on it. And I wrote a book where like, I had to write software where you could click on any paragraph and leave comments. And this was before spam. So that actually worked. And I actually got <laughs> insightful comments. Then eventually 
you know, it just got <laughs> filled up with, you know. But, but you have ways to get your penis larger and get That's right. Podcast. A lot of ways. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of ways. A lot of You've ways. Got some that. things have improved. <laughs> uh, I worked at, I guess, I did some consulting. Google was like my first, kind of my only, like, full-time normal job. Uh, I, I started there in, uh, I guess, in 2004, 2008, and then uh, Seasteading, this crazy billionaire, Peter Thiel. Oh, yeah. I know Peter. Yeah, so he heard about Seasteading? You know, I met, I met Peter backstage at, uh, after our show. He came in to see our show. And uh, because of the Donald Trump stuff and all that crazy stuff and the Hulk Hogan thing and all of the nutty stuff he was involved in, I didn't really know uh, what to expect. And I bumped into a guy who's great. He's amazing. It's hard to find anything in a short period of time that I disagreed with him on. I mean, he's so thoughtful and nuanced. So thoughtful, and, yeah. and that's what we need today. Like, we're losing that. And so he thinks, he thinks differently. And he'll change his mind. Sure. Which is... I mean, you don't get to be right by not changing your mind. <laughs> but it might be the only thing I'm willing to judge someone on now. If they haven't been wrong, you know, really recently <laughs> and know it, who cares? Yeah, that's something my grandfather was amazing at that I, I have to work on a lot that I envy. <laughs> Just, it's, he was so good at winning arguments because he, like, the secret to winning an argument is when you're wrong... You just change sides, That's great, yeah. <laughs> and you just never lose. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 uh it is it is an amazing thing. It's also amazing that uh, if you can do it quickly enough, and if you're good enough, at it, <laughs> they don't um, always know that. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's that the other side there's this there's this amount they have in the buffer. They must keep arguing. <laughs> you know, you're right. Yes, and another thing. <laughs> no, you, you you you're done. We're done. The momentum, um, carrying them forward. <laughs> well, they just got this buffer set up. I got five more arguments. Are you <laughs> well, you're, you're done. You're done. But, uh, yeah, uh, the, being willing to change your mind is, is astonishing. How old did you know your grandfather? Hmm, let's see. I mean, he was in California. I grew up in the East Coast, but I'd come out for uh, for holidays and then visit him sometimes when I was with my dad. So, I don't know. How to say, I mean, I got a good number of hours with him, but not as many as I would have liked. Yeah. And when did he die? Um, 2000. Oh, okay. Eight. Yeah. Yeah. So you got, you got, grandmother. you got some time with him. Yeah, I did. Um, he, he got to see my first child, but not my, not my second child. Okay. Uh, he and my grandmother. Yeah. So then, you know, it's funny what you said about, um, about legal systems very different from ours mm. and then, uh, seasteading ideas. Cause it's, it's really true that. Don't go, don't go with gypsy law, please. Yeah, no. Please. Come on. Each chapter is an island. <laughs> well, I mean, one thing is that they had a legal system, an embedded legal system, so where they had to deal with there being different law around them in a larger community that right. could enforce its will on them. Uh, and I feel like that's something that seasteads need to think about because they're in this big, dangerous world of big countries. And so they have to understand that they're embedded in this larger legal system. But we also, I, I just feel we need to point out that we are aware that gypsy is a racist term. That's right. Uh, and and uh, the Roma people and, and all of that. It's not necessarily what we think and things have changed a lot. I just want to make sure that people know we know that. I'm not afraid of the word, but I want to make sure we know that, that stuff because I knew a guy... Uh, I still know a guy who uh, works hard in the Bunko Squad out of Chicago and runs, tries to stop a lot of the scams that are from some people mm. from that culture, which are just horrendous. When you believe 
that Jesus Christ himself <laughs> gave you the right to steal. It it does make a weird internal law. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the strange things is that um, the, in the places that have been more tolerant of the Roma, their culture is kind of dying out. That there's this this weird factor where when when people kind of, you know, said stay away, they're different, they're bad, and in the places where they still do that, uh, their culture still survives. And in other places like in the States where they were, people were more accepting, that kind of lowered the barrier to people to be like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to integrate into the larger culture. And it's happened. Well, it's, you know, once again, it's like everything. It's the Internet. Yeah. It's malls. It's the fact that you, you cannot have an insular community now. It seems almost impossible. You know, even New Guinea can't stay. You know. Yeah. The Amish have to have their, uh, you know, you go out. And you see the world. Yeah. And maybe you come back and maybe you don't, but it's out there. So. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just it's really, really hard to put those uh, to put those walls up. So I wonder. So um, what did Peter Thiel do on the on the seasteading? So he I guess I had written this book and given a couple talks um, and he was like. What year is this? This was 2007. And some people who uh, were familiar with my ideas, worked for him or close to him, told him about them. And and we met up and talked about it. And he was like, you got to get out of Google and go work on this seasteading stuff. And so he funded me to start the Seasteading Institute and was kind of our, our, our major supporter for a lot of years and, you know, never would have gotten started without him. Um, so he's been a, a really powerful influence. And Seasteading Institute is full, full speed ahead now, right? Yeah. So I mean, you haven't actually stalled yet or failed yet. You're still it's just a slow process. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll see what happens with French Polynesia. Um, I will like from when I started talking about this, the the movement to make better better government has gotten a lot bigger. So you know, whether it happens in French Polynesia or someone else somewhere else on the ocean, or it happens on land, um, I think that this idea is really picking up speed because like, as our our governments age, the the old technology just does worse and worse and worse at dealing with the new world. Um, there's just more and more pressure to find some new way of doing things. And so it may be that seasteading stalls out and it happens on land. It may be the ocean turns out to be the best. I mean, here's one of the crazy things about the ocean. You know, I love that you found a way to get credit for your ideas of seasteading being done on land. <laughs> Thank you. Genius. <laughs> Thank you. Genius. Genius. Very important because land's cheaper. I'm going to go to Mars Oh, we're actually going to do it in Cincinnati? That's still my Mars idea. <laughs> Moonsteading, <laughs> Marsteading, uh, <laughs> airsteading. We have these domain names. Um, <laughs> I'm not joking. Um, one of the fun things about seasteading is that the ocean is a different – it's a different medium from land. Like it has different characteristics. So cruise ships are as big as skyscrapers and they move around all the time. So something to be crazy on land is just the way of life out there. So we have this idea that if you built – a city on the ocean, you could build it for modules. People could own their house or a group could own a block. And if you didn't like how things were going, you could just take your module and leave. So it's like the, the U.S. of tugboats. Yeah. And it's, it's actually doable. I mean, if you look at, you know, it, you could, any of us could like easily pay for a tugboat to go drag our house around for like weeks, maybe not for like months, <laughs> but enough to get it to somewhere else. So the ocean, it's really efficient to reshuffle things. So there's this idea like the ocean, it's difficult. So you could live on the, unless you flip it. You could live on the Upper East Side 
And, and if then it, if it got hip to live downtown, just move the house. That's right. Or split the entire city in two, you know, or split it in three or just go join something else that maybe like it's a difficult place to build. Like I think we'll probably build on build new countries on land first, but that it might actually be better because it has this different characteristic that you can vote with your house. You you could take your 1400 capacity theater and take it to another city and just be like, hey, uh, yeah, we're going to do this thing in uh, in Prague for the next year. And that's different. <laughs> that is a different technology than land. <laughs> I could have an apartment right near my dressing room. You could bring your house. Well, also, you know, they, they people are building uh, tiny homes inside uh, shipping containers now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you could put four of those together and just be your bedroom and your kitchen and your theater. And yeah. Just drag them around. Absolutely. Now, I think we can get all the answers to all our questions with this one big question. One of the things that people trash um, libertarians for, and it ends up being one of the things right on your website for French Polynesia that you're going to help with, is climate change. Now, if you don't have any laws, if you have moderate laws, many smaller laws, no big government, how do you deal with climate change? Well, how, how are we dealing with climate change right now? Badly. Kind of like shouting at each other and trying to guilt trip. Well, okay, we burned coal, but that was a long time ago. And if you burn coal now to, to get rich, that's wrong. I mean, that, that's one of the things is people love to compare seasteading libertarianism to some imagined perfect option, which we don't have. And it always looks bad if you compare it to the imagined perfect option. But if you compare it to the way we're actually doing things, it's, it's often like very easy to imagine doing better, like hard <laughs> to imagine doing worse. So um, like right now, countries are not able to come to consensus on climate change. It is this kind of there's, whether it's a tragedy of the commons or whether it's it's rational to actually be um, like burning this coal to you know, maybe it, it makes things a little warmer, but that's what it takes for us to get our civilization to the next level where we don't need to. Well, you know, uh, I've, I say this almost every show we do. I blame all of climate change on Bruce Springsteen and Bonnie Raitt. <laughs> uh, those two are responsible for all of it. Because if they had not done no nukes <laughs> in the 80s, we'd all have nuclear power. We'd all be fine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an example of how, uh, you know, sometimes you got to judge people based on, the the consequences rather than like the stated <laughs> intentions like, what they thought that was going to happen yeah. yeah or even what they said you know yeah. like to be against nuclear power is to be against like clean energy yeah. like it, it just is and well I've, I've never understood how anyone can be worried about climate change and against nuclear power it seems like we we had the answer you know and of all people the french did it Right? I mean, the French did a pretty good job. Pretty small carbon footprint. Uh, Haven't been a lot of reactors blowing up over there. They're kind of doing okay. But the U.S., you know, and the technology is so much better now. It's magical thinking. Mm -hmm. It's not that there's like an analysis of the trade-offs and the pros and cons. It's that people associate, you know, first nuclear power with nuclear weapons. And then just, you know, radiation is this, this like horrible, scary, terrifying thing. And so it's just, it's not about the trade-offs. And then what do we get? We get a, a world of burning coal. Because the alternative is not, you know, the perfect free energy technology. It's like, well, what are we going to do if we can't use nuclear power? We're going to burn coal. Let's choke people to death. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. yeah. mining is safe. 
Yeah. <laughs> Nobody dies mining. Well, you, you never you never compare it to the other options. You always compare it to the ideal. That's right. And and that's what I think the power of saying, hey, we're actually going to build these cities and we'll see what they're like. And then instead of talking about the ideal government, and again, I don't just want people to build libertarian seasteads. I want them to build a bunch of different seasteads with really different, the more different those systems of government are, the happier that I'll be. So that instead of talking about it in theory, we see how they work. But it's also possible that um, a lot of these things become non-issues. I mean, um, the, 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 the rate that violence is dropping, the rate that crime is dropping, the rate that wars are dropping uh, is insane. Yeah. You know, we now, if we were really logical about the whole thing, our major battle to help people would be fighting against butter <laughs> and, and salt and animal fat. I mean, that's where the war really is. We're not trying to stop the Civil War. We're trying to stop people from dying from being too fat, if we really cared about, or traffic accidents, you know. And traffic accidents, all the stuff we talk about there, will just go away with self-driving cars, you know, just instantly. And... Um, uh, it's possible that even uh, even possible that climate change might have a um, technological solution we just haven't thought of yet, or we've thought of. You know, we got to find a way to get more carbon into concrete <laughs> cheaper. You know, algae, yeah. ocean, ocean, can ocean. be done, can be done. Um, so, uh, but uh, how do you deal with? Um, uh, well, also, you know, that that's being helped, too, very quickly. But if we want to have fewer people dying from not having money, what's the libertarian solution to that? Charity. Is it well, one word? I would say that the libertarian solu- solution is the that when things are done privately with competition, that they tend to be done cheaper and better. So mm-hmm. the, the solution to people not having enough money is technologies let us do more and more with the money that they have. Uh, and that kind of taking money from some people and giving it to other people, you know, first off, it, it destroys self-reliance. You know, the whole Jordan Peterson angle now I think is, is really powerful and important. But he's crazy. <laughs> lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he has a positive message. Okay. <laughs> Are you really against crazy people with a positive message? I'm, I'm not against crazy people at all, but uh, he's not my favorite crazy person. I'm jumping around everywhere here because I have so many zillion questions. But one of the things I wanted to say was when you first wrote your seasetting book, um, uh, not what you did for hype or out talking to people or trying to get money, but you were talking to your friends. How soon did you think, what year did you think you'd have Mm. something up and on its feet? I would say probably this year. Okay. And now where are you? It could happen as soon as next year if French, French Polynesia goes well, or it could, could take 20 years. And how long, how long will it take to build? If French Polynesia says okay, what's the first move? What's the first shovel? <laughs> which, which, <laughs> yeah. You have to dig fast because it's water. <laughs> yeah, dig fast, <laughs> that hole in the ocean. Yeah, I mean, so we have uh, we have. Uh, kind of floating city architects uh, in the Netherlands who've already designed floating housing developments there. Oh, because of the... There's that, what? Because they, they, <laughs> they have all that water. Yeah. Sure. Um, and they've actually Because they're actually doing really well because with the, the, the oceans rising, a lot of people need their technology now, right? Yeah, absolutely. And they've actually done the, the, the thing where um, someone was like, hey, I want to replace 
this floating office building with a bigger and better one. And instead of having to demolish it, they literally just, all right, now we got an office building to sell. Who wants it? And we'll just take it to where it wants to go. So that kind of— They've done that? They've done that. Wow. Um, so that kind of idea of what I call dynamic geography, of like actually reshuffling entire bits of land, they actually do. So what we do in, in French Polynesia uh, is study the, the water and the area. We have our, our platform designs. Um, we are potentially, depending on the place, we would have— uh, kind of a staging area on land opposite where we would anchor. Uh, you know, we've got and how far offshore would you be anchoring? So, in in French Polynesia, the uh, the reef tends to be very close. So, some of the locations we're looking at are some is inside atolls and some is just like a thousand feet out, which is not ideal. Um, you know, for the sort of seasteading independence thing, but that's that's where their reef is. And then we got a ton of people kind of in our community who are excited to move to one of these things. And so we start going from, hey, I think this would be cool, to actually taking sign-ups for... Now, have you state. been to French Polynesia? I have not. Never even been there? No. Um, so I'm, I guess, my involvement with CSETI Institute now, so I, I'm kind of chairman of the board. Uh, I do strategy for the org. But for French Polynesia, we you know, ne- need to raise money. So CSETI Institute is a nonprofit. So we signed this agreement, and then we spun off a company, Blue Frontiers, to actually raise money, negotiate with them, take sign-ups, kind of do all that company stuff. Uh, so it's other people who are running that venture. Now, I interrupted you uh, uh, well, a zillion times to change subjects. <laughs> so we didn't finish this, but why does French Polynesia think that your seasteading would help with climate change for them? Because well, they'd be able to build out their country using your technology? Floating platforms, don't care how high the water is. Right. When water goes up, they go up. And there's a lot of – so my side of things is more the, the political. That's what I'm excited about. Uh, there's other people in seasteading who are really into the environmental technology. Um, there's kind of a ton of cool stuff you can do in, in the ocean with algae for power, for pulling carbon what out of you, the air. You've got your list here, the uh, moral imperatives list on here. Do you want to run through those as – as as part of what uh, what you're doing, yeah, do that. So feed the hungry. We can just yeah, we just list them. <laughs> feed the hungry, enrich the poor, cure the sick, live in balance with nature, uh, power civilization sustainably, clean the atmosphere, restore the oceans, and stop fighting. Are the list? And, and you can do all those by next year. No, <laughs> <laughs> three. <laughs> Rome wasn't building a day. How um, do you? Uh, how do you? Uh, we don't know that. <laughs> how do you how do you enrich the poor with seasteading? By being like America was in the 1800s, giving them a place uh, with jobs, with uh, a non-corrupt government, with people who welcome people who want to co- go someplace and work hard, um, and by building those and scaling them up, uh, lots of them around the world. I mean, there's a, a set of people who's in, into refugee cities, the idea that of uh, building new cities specifically for refugees to go into and to build a new society there. Boy, that's a good idea. Because countries don't want them, and those they want a home and they want to work. Wow. But land, people are so, they have this thing that you don't have where it's like, this is our land. Oh, yeah. Like, no, you can't live here. No, you can't take it. It's, what, what and some of them don't want to leave the land because they're still that same. The dirt. Yeah. Yeah. But there's still some, there's, the same there's, some, there's some term for that, right? Yeah, that you've, <laughs> the Palestinians use uh-huh. all the time that they've got their. Patriotism? <laughs> no. There's a, uh, 
It's just amazing that this, that the fact that you've lived on the land means something. What yeah. I call it. Do you it, love that land more than your do children? Do you have that? Do you, do you care where you live? Uh, I mean, personally, no, but some people do. I mean, my, my dad does, planting his, his fruit trees, tending his garden. He loves it. It's, it's a big issue with, with seasteading and charter cities because, you know, people tend to oppose it because they say, like, somebody will paint it as foreigners coming to our country and taking our stuff. And it's what I call the the Avatar effect from the movie Avatar. Is that just a Which feeling? I didn't see. Okay, but I know it's exactly Earthling, the same. Earthling betrays his race and, and nation okay. and planet. People with bows and it's arrows. It's exactly the same as F Troop, right? People with bows and arrows get so mad that people are coming to take their land that they're able to defeat machine guns and helicopters because they are that mad because it's <laughs> their land and that is the power of defending your land. And that makes it tough. Yeah. <laughs> Because you, you, that's their land. And all the land is someone's land right now. All the land is someone's land. All the land is someone's land. I guess land. you got some Antarctica. It's divvied up. I mean, it's not, you, you're not allowed to live there. It's someone's land like a bunch of countries that have said no one can live there. Really? Antarctica is owned by different countries? Yes. There, and there is no land. Any rock that sticks out above water extends your oil rights 200 miles. So there is no land. I mean, in China, they build platforms on these rocks yeah. and they put people there so they can say it's, it's habitable rock sticking out of the ocean. So all land is claimed. And that was what led me to seasteading is like, okay, if we can open this new frontier with new technology, then we can build someplace that people aren't saying this is mine. But you got to get two miles away from anything or make a, or make a deal. It's, uh, it's 12 it it used to be uh, used to be three miles, which was the distance a a, a cannon could shoot. Because <laughs> that if you can defend it, it's yours. Now it's twelve miles, but then resources are claimed out to two hundred miles. So wow. the the dream is, you know, to to build these things close to shore, scale them up, find systems of laws that work, get people interested, and then find a spot in the ocean where there's a seamount where you can anchor to or build pillars. And then do a big independent seastead that just says we're our own country. But you know you don't you don't do that first or second or third. You know even if things go well, say in French Polynesia, that's you know twenty years down the road. But hey, we'll live that long. May I suggest Fredonia? Fredonia. <laughs> For name. I, I mean, if you open a little stand. place in, in the banana <laughs> stand, <laughs> I mean, could you uh, could you? Uh, uh, consider it Fredonian Honduras. Sure. They're going to let you name it? We can name our zone, yeah. Fredonia, Liberland. I mean, see, all the best ones are taken. Fredonia, Liberland, Sealand. <laughs> Freedom sea place. <laughs> now, With houses. Uh, the people that care about um, uh, aquaculture and so on, what do they think can be can be farmed in the ocean? So I'm actually an, an investor in the first uh, U.S. offshore aquaculture farm off Catalina. Uh, they're, they're growing mussels. They just started harvesting. So I'm a huge fan of aquaculture. Um, the way I look at it is if you look at the productivity difference from us just going out and, like, shooting random animals and bringing them in to, to ranching or from gathering plants to farming them, I mean, it was orders of magnitude. And we can do the same thing with the oceans. So you can do fin fish. That's one thing. So, uh, you know, anything with a fin. Shellfish, already being done. Um, the, the, the crazy stuff is, is algae because it's the most efficient 
it uh, just turning energy and resources into proteins and fats. So it's it's because it's so it's hard to harvest. It's hard to dry. Like the expensive thing isn't making the like algae just wants to grow. But then it turns out that often it costs more to to turn it into powder or dry it out than you can sell it for. But that's something where the the physical limits. If they can make that algae technology a little bit bigger, the amount of food that you could grow is just is insane. I mean, Earth could support a trillion people. Like I mean, if you do the the numbers on the physics, uh, and all algae, vegan. <laughs> and all vegan. That's right. No cruelty. <laughs> no, it's krill. Oh, <laughs> <that> cruelty. <laughs> High in omega threes, vitamins, minerals. Yeah. Yeah. Has all that stuff. I mean, I have to take a, a, an algae capsule uh, every day because uh, to get the. Uh, well, good news. You can stuff. make your own. I know. Sponsored I know, but by. You'll enjoy that. The, uh, an algae my, company that doesn't exist yet. My my Avega. My Avega three you have to get, which I which they do now. They get with the algae. It used to be you got that with fish oil, yeah. And now they're farming algae to do that. I don't know if they're farming or harvesting it. Yeah, but and uh, so it's that it's for that higher end kind of like for the as a supplement. That price point is 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 way too high for what we would need to really to feed the hungry. Mm-hmm. But as the technology gets better and better, if you just look at the physical limits of like how much algae can we grow, it's it's crazy. The good crazy. Good crazy. Good crazy. <laughs> and um, heliports, airports? They designed for World War II. They actually designed like uh, these airports just that you could build in the ocean. Uh, you know, all you need is a, for a runway. It's just a big, flat, stable thing. I mean, aircraft carriers. Like, we already have them. Aircraft carriers, are, are they bigger than cruise ships? What's the biggest the thing in the water The capacity is now? smaller. The biggest thing is still, I think, uh, uh, oil tankers. Oil tankers yeah, are the biggest thing. I think the hull capacity of an aircraft carrier is smaller because they've got that that shape. Mm-hmm. Um, but in gross tonnage, I think they're smaller. Now are you uh, uh, and landing and taking off is not trivial. No, no it's really hard. They catch you, catch you with those rubber bands <laughs> and you crash into shit. Something else I don't want to do. <laughs> if you want a guy to land a uh, a plane on an aircraft carrier, don't call me. Get me out of your Rolodex. I'm, I don't want to be in your list for that. Hey, who are we going to get? Pen? No. Pen won't do it. We'll fit in the capsule. you this smaller guy. But it's kind of like a magic trick. Kind of, well, kind of, except you're not cheating. <laughs> How do you suffer you're cheating? And your life's on the line. More of a juggling trick. Yeah, it's not, not, really a, not really a magic trick. You know, I used to think about a time when I first got my uh, phone and stuff when I could just use cameras to be able to see stuff, check in on my house, check in on my, uh, my parents, my mom and dad. It was a big deal. It used to be a really big deal to uh, to get a camera somewhere else, a remote, and look at it. James Bond villain stuff. And now with Blink uh, Blink cameras, uh, it's really, really wicked, wicked easy. Blink, you make a one-time purchase, have access to a plethora of features, no subscriptions or fees to choose. Blink cameras starting ninety-nine bucks. Blink utilizes free Android, Apple, and Amazon Fire tablet app that allows. You to view video from their cameras anywhere in the world, whether you're traveling out of the country, you just want to check back, grant your peace of mind. Uh, you know what to use these for, right? Where do you want a camera to check stuff out? Keeping an eye on your children, relatives, checking out your vacation home, second home, preventing package theft, ensuring proper package delivery, all this stuff. We have one on my mother-in-law's house. My wife watches it all the time. It is um, it's fabulous. 
It's really good. Gives you alerts. You can check it out. No subscription. No nothing. You just get to um, you get to see stuff uh, that's going on other places. You know, um, put one by a fish tank. Watch your fish. Uh, that's what I would do. We're using it for our mother-in-law now, but personally, I'd rather watch fish. But that's not important. Uh, you you got some use for this. It's like you know, it's like ninety-nine bucks. And two AA batteries, put it in, no wires, no nothing. Anyone can install it, even me. So go to Blink4 Home, and that's not the numeral four, that's the word for B-L-I-N-K-F-O-R-H-O-M-E dot com slash pen. Blink4home.com slash pen. It's really, really a good thing. You want to check it out. You really do. You need a camera somewhere to watch something sometime, don't you? You do. Blinkforhome.com slash pen. You know, Matt Donnelly is going to try this. Matt Donnelly's losing his hair, a lot of his hair. And uh, confidence matters. Uh, sometimes a little change can make, uh, make all the difference. One change can make this huge difference, and Hair Club knows it. That's why uh, they're inviting you to become part of the Hair Club family to see how getting the most out of your hair can change your life. They understand the emotions you're feeling and know the questions you have. Hair Club is a leader in total hair solutions with a legacy of success for over 40 years. Whether you're looking to revitalize the growth of your own hair or learn more about the latest proven methods for hair replacement or restoration, Hair Club's professionally trained stylists uh, hair health experts and consultants will craft a personalized solution to ensure you feel your best and get the most out of your hair. Uh, you know, all my friends, these guys, they're all doing something. They're all trying to find something. And Hair Club for Men does that. You know, all the solutions all there that can help you out. I think you should check it out. Uh, we're going to check in with Matt. You know, we're doing these. Uh, this is a bank show. So we haven't got Matt right here with me because I'm in a hotel in Pennsylvania. But Matt's going to try this. Uh, go to hairclub.com slash pen today for free hair analysis and a free take-home hair care kit, all valued over $300. That's hairclub.com slash pen for a free hair analysis and free hair care kit. Hairclub.com slash pen. Experience your hair and your life at its best. Only with Hair Club. I'm going to some certain, certain, certain you're going to love Hair Club for Men. Check it out. If your hair is thinning at all and you want a little more confidence, please do that. You'll like it. Now, how much time have you spent on, a, uh, on, a, uh, on the ocean? Are you at all a, uh, an ocean guy? Some. Not as much as I'd like, but I love sailing and taking cruises. Uh, my wife and I did a Star Trek cruise last year. Oh, yeah. Which was really fun. You know Lawrence Krauss? No, he was there. He sometimes speaks on those. Yeah, yeah and they had a bunch of the, the cast and crew. It's really fun. Trapped in a small metal box with you for, for a week. <laughs> it was awesome. How big a cruise ship was that? How many people were on it? Uh, I think 2,500. Mm-hmm. You must have just been in hog heaven. It was amazing. Going, I could do this forever. Everyone with their costumes, <laughs> and then we're floating around. <laughs> and where'd you go to? You know, we didn't get off the boat. It was in the Caribbean, um, but we didn't get off the boat. There's just, you know, too much fun stuff. People to talk to, weird, like-minded people. I mean, maybe we should do Trektopia. We've <laughs> <laughs> already got a national anthem. You got everything. You know, we got the prime directive. We got part of a legal system already. Sure, sure. People make Star Trek. A number of people will move there. Yes. You, you even, even have the uniforms. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all set to go, and the flag is all done. The logo. Yeah. And, yeah. This is a great idea. A so of... much is set. It's like halfway done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Except for the building it thing. Well. Now, uh, uh, who else besides uh, Peter Thiel? What other 
I mean, is this something that Elon Musk or any of those guys are interested in? Uh, I mean, Elon's thinking Mars, mm-hmm. right? And that's going to take a while. So I think <laughs> if we do some things to save Earth while he's working on that, that's all great. Mm-hmm. So Larry Page has said we should have zones to experiment with new forms of government. Um, another guy who's really into this stuff is Robert Ballard, who found the Titanic. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just an amazing well, oceanographer. Well, he, he spent some time out on the ocean. Oh, yeah, <laughs> a lot. You know, he's discovered new forms of life, like those yeah. geothermal vents. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like, why do we— smokers. Yeah, <laughs> sulfur-based. I mean, actually, like a different yeah. metabolism. Yeah. And so he's like, why do we know more about space than we do about the oceans? So he calls it inner space. There's outer space and inner space. Uh, so he's all about how we need to settle the oceans. It's, it's interesting. It's something like we haven't built one yet, but the number of people who have gone from, you know, when I started talking about this stuff 15 years ago, from being like, that's just insane. Like, that's totally, like, well, why would you want to do that? To being like, yep, we're going to need startup countries. I see how things are going. I don't know how you're going to do them, but we're definitely going to need them for sure <laughs> is, is amazing. And that's, that's part of what gives me confidence that it's going to happen is there are all these accomplished people who are working on other things maybe. But who are like, yeah, you know, at some point, if someone else hasn't built a country, I got to do that because we need them. Wow, are you, are you in? You in, Gudu? I'm, I'm in. Mm-hmm. It's on. It's already. We're. It's already on the ocean. So you know, I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you'll do it. I'll pull on in. Well, you know, I. It's the same thing. You know, I would because I have no uh, affinity uh, whatsoever to dirt at all, um, I would go anywhere. But the problem is that, uh, I mean, I didn't choose Las Vegas. Las Vegas is the really the only place where a uh, magic show can uh, run um, multiple years in the same place. Yeah. Know? And my, my, my choice is to be on tour forever, which I don't mind at all, but it's harder on the family. Yeah. Or I can, I can live here, you know, and it's, it's incredible. I mean, there's a 1400 Penn & Teller Theater that I've been at for uh, well longer than any headliner in the history of Vegas. It's uh, you know, people still show up every night. Show up every night, more of them, and uh, pay you a little bit of money. Yeah, and so I can uh, I can do that, and so I can't do. I think you know if I had a job that was you know I have um, uh, if you were just writing. I have a friend. I have a friend who's uh, you know she's a she's a cartoonist, a write, a, mm-hmm. a, an artist, or an A, and she yep. can go wherever she wants, and she ended up in Australia. Uh, I kind of think that uh, if I could go wherever I want, have my same job, I would probably try New Hampshire, see what that feels like. In the free- you must have a lot of people that are in the free state program. They're going, just build that thing. I'm just going to move. Yeah, <laughs> right? definitely. But it's, it's kind of it's diversity for the different projects that are trying to make things better. It's like they're different strategies that are both trying to make like freer, better governments. And they're really different, and that's, like, good. You know, I feel like today we have this sort of everything must be the same. There is the one way. And that's not, that's not what wins. What wins is, like, all right, Elon Musk, you work on Mars. We'll try to build <laughs> cities on the ocean. Other people are trying to build cities on land. You try to take over New Hampshire. Other people try to make <laughs> virtual cryptocurrency nations. Let's do all those things and hope that one of them works. Or – or that four of them work. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't decide which one works better because they're all working pretty good. That's the ideal, right? That's the dream. Going, geez, I, I don't know whether to go to the socialist or the capitalist seasteading because <laughs> they're both doing okay. One place to live, one place to party, <laughs> one place to work. <laughs> now, uh, uh, 
What uh, laws do you want a country to have? You personally, now. I'm not talking about you. When you sit at the table, what do you bring in there? What do you want? You want to stop people from killing each other. I would say not very many laws. I mean, I'm a libertarian. It's it's funny, but I, I kind of think of it now. I used to think of it as like the moral imperative. And now I think about it as my taste as a shopper. Like I want to be able to shop for a system of laws. And I know my tastes. I want a system of laws that offers me lots of freedom and choice that says, hey, if something goes wrong, let's settle up after and not tell you you can't do it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to stick to your contracts. Don't hurt other people or their stuff. That's kind of most of it. Yeah. And um, do you think that we um, seasteading, putting technology aside, would not have worked a hundred years ago because someone would take you over? Definitely. Right Definitely. Do you think that the the kind of pacifistic nature of the world? Is, uh, is one of the big things that's allowing this. Do you think if you had a successful seasetting community that either pirates or another hmm. government would even try to take you over? I don't think so. I mean, that's, it's, it's not how the world works today. I mean, there's only, there are a lot of eyes on stuff now. Everybody yeah. can see everything, I think. Yeah. And, and it, is, it is really important because, you know, it used to be that the countries were imperialistic, just trying to grow, and that you weren't safe if you were small. And today it's sort of it's, – it's hard to get started because everything is claimed. But countries aren't like, oh, you know, we have to go take over everything. Well, there doesn't seem to be much imperialism happening no. at all now. I mean, the U.S. is very aggressive if it thinks that you're helping Americans break the law. You know, very aggressive. Mm-hmm. But they're not going and just being like, hey, what, what countries can we take over? I mean, I'd say that China is probably the most imperialistic country right now, but it's, it's, they're doing it through soft influence. Not, what do you mean by that? So they're doing a lot of... Um, of buying up property and kind of using their money and power to exert political influence in places like Africa and also like throughout Asia. So they're kind of the country that's willing to be like, hey, we want to spread and grow, but it's all through soft power, not through like going in with guns and taking over. And what do you think the government would look like on seasteading community? They'd be wearing those gold shirts with <laughs> kind of like V thing, upside down V on their chest. <laughs> I think it really depends who builds it, right? If you get your Apple Topia, that's going to look really different from from like your Linux Topia, right? <laughs> Apple Topia is like it's beautiful and everything fits together, and you have to buy our power cords that cost a hundred bucks each. But if you can afford them, your life will just be so smooth and beautiful and wonderful. And Linux Topia, it's like, all right. Here's the law. You got to cobble them together. Pick this, pick that. If you screw up, you know, you and your family are going to (laughs) die. Well, that's one of the things that bothers me. We are so good at art direction now, and we don't apply it to our lives. When you go to see a Disney film, when you saw Zootopia, do you remember how beautiful that city was? We can do that. Yeah. We just haven't. And why haven't we? I don't know. Back when it took 100 years to make a ceiling really ornate and carve it out of plaster with people up on scaffoldings trying to design it. We did it. Now that we could print it, we don't do it. We could make the most beautiful buildings in the world, and we don't do it anymore. Yeah. 
I don't get it. Why don't you start it? Okay. <laughs> start doing beautiful buildings. Start with your own damn house. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the idea, uh, boy, so when are you going over to French Polynesia to check it out? Well, we've got to see how this, uh, this negotiation goes. We, we had a gathering there, but you know, it's, it's important for us to keep the nonprofit work and the for-profit company somewhat separate. So we did, at the season, we did the initial work, we signed the initial agreement, and then we did this kind of spinoff. Now, wasn't so there doing it. something in Northern California-ish where you... Oh, the San Francisco Bay, right? Weren't you guys... But was, aren't, isn't there like every year a seasteading party or something? Yes. Tell us We've about never that. been invited. You should come. Ephemeral. <laughs> I've been invited oh, every, yeah, every sorry. year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's I mean, it called? Our to mutual you? friend. Uh, Say the name of it again. Ephem- it's called Ephemeral. Yeah. I, I have a, this weakness for portmanteaus. Oh, sure. And seasteading <laughs> and, and ephemeral. Um, and I actually had the idea for ephemeral before seasteading um, from going to Burning Man and being like, wait, what if people took all of this effort that they take to build this like crazy art party in the middle of nowhere and they used it to build like a new society for a week where they experiment with different laws instead of with like art and drugs? Um, and then I had that idea probably in 2001 maybe uh, and that kind of grew into the seasteading and then finally with Seasteading Institute, we had the funding to start Ephemeral. We did it the first year. With no insurance. Tell, tell me what ephemeral is. So it's it, we we get together. People we rent out all the houseboats in the area. People sail boats, and then we build platforms and all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, like my friend has a DeLorean hovercraft, um, and we go out <laughs> in the water and we gather, and it's it's a festival. So you know your 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 music, your dancing. How many people? I'd say probably five hundred oh, to six hundred these days. There's maybe one hundred and twenty the first year. It's been going for. Nine or ten years, um, and yeah, it's like a festival of building stuff. And it's all in the water. It's all in the water. And one thing that's really cool is this idea of like diverse communities with different rules. It actually happened there. So part of my hope with ephemeral is that we would move like closer and closer to the ocean over time, mm-hmm. and that did not happen. <laughs> I mean, we just we just <laughs> stayed in one place because the ocean is hard. Um, but what did happen is people making different islands with different rules and having things like when you come to our island, you, you know, you're not allowed on our island without a life vest and a safety whistle. That's mm-hmm. the rule of the largest island. Um, some people, it's like whatever, you know, just, just pull up and get crazy. And they have different cultures and people sometimes secede. I mean, I had an experience where I was on an island that had a bunch of rules and we didn't get along. And so we unhooked and went off and tied you, up somewhere else. What do you say? An island, how many people would that be? The 50? The, uh, the big, the biggest, maybe a couple hundred. Mm-hmm. But And there are islands that are just one vessel, one person, you know, now, in between. And there's music. Music and... I assume a huge amount of drugs. Probably. It's a <laughs> festival in California. <laughs> one can imagine. Um, and just, just... And art, I imagine, too. And, yeah, the art projects using the water. Um and just uh, just just building stuff for for people where like Burning Man is too easy, like yeah, in the, because in Burning Man the land's already there. Like yeah, it's hot and there's nothing there, but you have land. If you just fall down at Burning Man, you're gonna fall down on the ground, and you'll get sunburned eventually. You're okay at Ephemeral. Like you gotta even bring your land. Like that even that doesn't come built in. <laughs> the cleaning fees are lower. Everybody who takes back a trailer from uh, Burning Man has to pay a five hundred dollars <laughs> cleaning fee. Because they're so full of dust. How, uh, <laughs> how, uh, what, what time of year is that? 
It's in the summer every year, and we, we do the dates a few years out in advance, so you can see it on the wiki. In the Sacramento Delta, it's a, it's a great community. Uh, Sergey Brin dropped in this year. That was cool. Peter Thiel has come. Uh, and just a ton of people who like to build stuff, you know. Well, I don't fit the category of wanting to build stuff. I don't fit the category of drugs, but I fit the category of um, the craziest stuff. I haven't gotten to Burning Man yet. It just seems, come to ephemeral. Burning seems, Man has jumped the shark already. Seems too druggy for me and too dirty. It it is, and but, it's it's old. But ephemeral is also dirty, I imagine. It's funny. You got you got the water. Get the water. Clean <laughs> off there. Okay, so uh, we're in. We in for sea setting. We're going. Okay, we're gonna wrap it up because I gotta run and I gotta. Uh, Speaking of yeah, I gotta judge. Uh, they're doing a thing at Life Is Beautiful, where there there's this new thing which I love. You know the roasting where you tear people apart. Yeah. These people have started this thing called the Bosch competition, <laughs> where two people stand side by side and see who can compliment the other one the strongest. Wow. And they're judged by that. And I watched a little bit online. It was wicked funny because they weren't even doing backhanded. They were doing it really legitimately, but just with the usual hyperbole you'd have tearing someone down, but just building them up. You know. Wow. And it was it's really funny. So I'm going to go judge that. So I got to cut this off just a little bit short. We don't know when this we're going to play this, but this just happened uh, accidentally. It was good. It's Just great. a little seasteading. Fantastic. Thank and you wonderful so to meet much, you. Richard. Wonderful, wonderful to, meet to meet you. Wonderful to meet you, too. Wonderful to meet you. Maybe we'll see you at uh, Femoral some year. Yeah. That was Penn Sunday School. That was Penn Sunday School. Cha cha cha. You become naked. Yeah, um, Pottery Friedman. That's who that was, Patrick Friedman. I want to make sure I get the first syllable right so it's not the Dick Van Dyke show. <laughs> I hope you're living on the sea stand soon so I can come visit you. I'm real interested. This is good. We're going to do it. You're going to do it? I'm going to do it. Well, you'll do it, you'll do it before me because <laughs> you like to build shit. I like to build shit. I want to build anything. Now, Pat, I don't know if you've heard, but... These seasteads have funny names. <laughs> like like what? Well, there's where to the east <laughs> and here to the west and never been there to the north. <laughs> hey, everybody. Jason Ellis here from the Jason Ellis Show podcast, reminding you that my podcast, new episodes every Wednesday, downloadable, where all podcasts are available. Come see my friends, Michael and Kevin, as we talk to you about what's awesome, what sucks, fitness, fighting, parenting, life, spin kicks, LGBTQ community, how to defend yourself against a shark if it attacks you out of nowhere, and much, much more. So come join us.